I lost 30 pounds and quit smoking and now I don't even like wine. And now I speak on stage all over the place, whereas just handing me a microphone karaoke night would have made me cry and stop breathing. And I'm a box jumper for my husband who's a magician. He shoves me in a little box and runs fiery swords through it. I couldn't have watched that trick on stage before. So I am very, very zealous about using hypnosis. You want to transform yourself and improve your life. You long to help people. You wish to become healthier, happier, and more successful. This show is your opportunity to learn how to use hypnosis to make your life better. Each week, hypnotist Robbie Spear Miller interviews people who have already changed their lives in amazing ways with hypnosis. These models can help you discover your path to making the most of your life. If you want to learn how hypnosis can help you reach your goals, this show is for you. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hypnosis Show podcast. I'm Robbie Spear Miller, your host. And today we're going to explore what it takes for weight loss to really work. Our guest today is a hypnotist who has had incredible weight loss hypnosis results. And outside of the thousands of one-on-one clients, she has also performed and led trainings all over North America on subjects such as communication, relationships, and self-awareness. She is here to share with us what it takes for weight loss hypnosis to really work. Let's welcome Heather McFall. Hi, Robbie. (laughs) Nice to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here. So... Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about what got you started in hypnosis and helping people with weight loss? Actually, I was overweight. I drank a bottle of wine every night before I went to bed. I smoked a pack a day. I was terribly claustrophobic and had debilitating stage fright. So, um, and counseling wasn't working for me. The counselors were actually, I went to a counselor with for a marriage counselor and they kept preparing us for divorce and I'm like, no, I want tools. And so I started researching client-centered therapy where what the client wanted is what was focused on and neuro-linguistic programming and hypnosis were the things that popped up. So I went and found a local trainer and decided that's what I wanted to do for a living. And I said, but you should hypnotize me first so I know what it feels like, right? She hypnotized me, just general confidence. That's all, just basic general confidence because I had no goal. And then when I went home, the next day I realized I wasn't claustrophobic anymore. She didn't even notice, she didn't even know that I was claustrophobic. The general ego strengthening script that she did caused me to deal with the paradox that was creating the claustrophobia. So it was really interesting, and that made me more zealous about it. So I went back to her and paid for a training and then realized she taught great hypnosis but no business. <laughs> so then, so it was, uh, it was many tens of thousands of dollars and years and hours of searching for trainers and a proper business model until I found the one that we both use. And, um, but in that time of training, I lost 30 pounds and quit smoking and Um, now I don't even like wine, which is weird. Um, all of my eating habits and now I speak on stage all over the place, whereas just handing me a microphone karaoke night would have made me cry and stop breathing. And I'm a box jumper for my husband who's a magician. So I, he shoves me in a little box and runs fiery swords through it. 
I couldn't have watched that trick on stage before. So I am very, very zealous about using hypnosis to change anything. And I've noticed when people come into a weight loss program, they don't, they don't just eat bad food. We all know how to be thin, right? There, you can't drive down the highway and not see a billboard that shows you food, exercise, and water. We all know that. So there's something that makes us eat the wrong stuff, even though we know what we should do. It, it was incredibly fun to just change little things and notice the difference. So I got really excited and it made me very dedicated to my clients because when they come in, I'm thrilled because I know they can do it because I'm an average C student. I'm lazy, not particularly smart, but I managed to fix all of those things with myself easily and pretty fast. So when people come in, the first thing I do is remember that initial session for confidence that got me over stage or uh, claustrophobia. So you realize that they're not, they're, they're healing a broken heart or they're avoiding boredom because they can't think of something else to do, or they're in just in sync with somebody else who's eating bad food. So people eat the wrong things quite often. And it has nothing to do with the food they're eating at all. Like how many times have you gone over somebody's house and they made your favorite dish? You would never say no. If you drove four hours to visit a family member and they said, I made the pie you always loved since you were a kid, you're not going to go, yeah, I'm kind of off sugar now. You'll just eat the pie because they made it. So people do it because they're placating. They, they will eat the wrong food to placate another person or to fit in with the other people. This was really cool. So I noticed your heart is here, right? And your stomach is, is right here. So if your subconscious job is just to keep you safe, loved, warm, and protected, that's all it cares about. Your subconscious is constantly taking in all the information around you to find out what is going to be the safest way to get you to what your expectation is. So if your heart is broken, all it cares about is making you not feel your broken heart. And your stomach being here means you can stretch the stomach so that you don't feel your heart. Well, I had lost weight and was actually kind of world-renowned speaking on a national platform as, as this world-class hypnotist. So when my first husband passed away at 43 and I was having a broken heart experience, my brain wouldn't let me go to comfort food. So I started eating jalapenos. And I actually gave myself esophagitis. And it was Scott McFall who turned around and said, just feel your heart, Meryl. <laughs> and and it, like, oh my gosh, I was doing what I've been teaching thousands of people all the time. I was just doing it with hot sauce and jalapenos. Mm -hmm. And when I stopped doing that and faced it, I just cried and cried and cried and cried until I got over it. And I'm back to mild salt and pepper like I used to be. But it's amazing. It's amazing what we will do. Our subconscious is reaching for food for different reasons. And if you find out what the reason is, then the food kind of feels silly or doesn't make a lot of sense anymore. It's like if you give yourself permission to have a tantrum, then when you go to do the tantrum, it starts to feel silly. You're like, oh, I'm just not into it anymore. 
Well, I love this. Two things about what you said so far, which is that as hypnotists, we require all of our students to change themselves so they know what it really means. And it makes them believe in what we do and know what it actually takes and passionate about our clients because we know what a difference it makes to our lives. And so that's a great example of that. Yeah. And and we always know that the the weight is the symptom, it's not the cause. So we're we're getting to the okay. root of what's really going on for people with weight loss. A lot of people think it's about counting calories or how many times they walk around the block. But counting, weighing and measuring is a compulsion. If you associate pleasure and pain with the same thing, that's a compulsion. So if you step on the scale and get disappointed, and then eat, 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 like eat healthy, exercise compulsively, step on the scale, and then you lost weight. So there's your pleasure. But then maybe you have a cocktail or a little too much salt, or you get bumps and bruises that caused your body to swell, and you step on the scale the next day after you've done everything right, and now you have the pain with it because you didn't lose the amount you wanted. And then it becomes a compulsion, and that's all you're thinking about. That's all you're doing. Skinny people don't think about their weight all day long. Healthy, fit, skinny people think about relationships and their kids and their career and the next big adventure. So we're just teaching people what to think about instead of their weight. But the more you talk about something, the more intense it gets. Like we could talk about spiders crawling on your skin right now and everybody would come with that. <laughs> but you weren't thinking about that just a minute ago, right? So if you're not talking in your head and you're not beating yourself up and you're just aware of the world around you and doing what needs to come next, it becomes super easy. My practice currently is in the villages in Florida, which is a 55 plus community. All of the towns around here are mostly gated communities of 55 plus. So I get a lot of free screening clients that come in and they want to lose weight. They're energetic. They're fabulous. They're young. They're like in their mid 60s, except that 40 years ago, they married a man 10 years older than them, which is fine. When somebody's 35 and 45, nobody notices the age difference. But when you're 65 and 75, and that 75-year-old man is getting curmudgeon he's got heart issues or going into dementia, now you've got a woman who is fully functioning but because her husband is sick, she ends up eating what he wants to eat or eating what she's preparing for him. She's sitting idle. He goes to bed at eight. So the lights are off. And then she starts to just sit from eight to 10 playing on the computer or watching the TV softly. And this happens a lot. Whereas their spouse is in decline. And so they just start declining with them and they're comforting themselves. Like I was talking about with food where you're, preparing preparing for the loss. So now they're comfort eating and distraction eating and boredom eating. And they're going, well, it's just because I retired. And I'm like, no, I don't think it's because you retired. I think it's because you started pretending to be a 75-year-old man. And it's time for you to be a beautiful, sexy 65-year-old woman you were supposed to be. But that happens a lot where they're stressed and COVID didn't help being stressed out and homebound, and then they just start eating for amusement because they don't they don't plan anything. They retired, which is every day an adventure, especially if you own your own business. It's an adventure. How are you going to expand it? What's going to happen next? The meeting you'll go to. 
And then they retire and they go, well, I'm going to have a house on the lake and time with my family and time with the grandkids, but there's no plan. So they wake up in the morning, there's nowhere to go and nothing to do. So a lot of my free screenings are developing the physical goal. Physically, where do you feel the best? What weight is light and comfortable and flexible in your body? And then financially, if you're retired and everything's fine, do you want to add a bathroom onto your house? Do you want to save for a cruise? Like Physical, financial, and emotionally. How are you feeling emotionally? Teach me about your day. And in the screening, they're mostly bored. Like what emotionally? Well, and then they start to get passive aggressive and angry toward their spouse because they're bored. And now they're projecting their boredom onto that spouse or they're getting frustrated. Somebody with dementia can't help that they don't remember that they just answered that question. So then they start getting flipped. So when I ask, like emotionally, how would you like to be? Well, I'd like to be not frustrated. I'd like to feel happier or whatever. But sometimes 30 minutes of the free screening is just getting them to think in the positive because people come in with what they don't want and they haven't stopped to think about what they do want. And then they don't realize there's a walking path behind your house. Maybe you could wake up in the morning and go for a long, brisk walk rather than staring at the backside of the newspaper that your husband's looking at. So we establish an emotional goal and then the spiritual goal. And sometimes they have to go home to think about that. But like, why are you born? What makes you get up every day? What's driving you? What's giving you the passion to keep going regardless of the changes or the challenges? So when we lay that out in the screening, physical, financial, emotional, and spiritual, that forces them to create a goal because a lot of people are just floating around in the universe with no goal, just taking the path of least resistance. And that's that doesn't get you anywhere. I, I like to use the metaphor of a, imagine you're in a canoe and a river full of alligators and you're paddling to get away from the alligators and you paddle, oh, there's one coming in here. Oh, there's one coming in there. If you keep doing that, you're just perpetually going to be in a small boat in alligator-infested waters. At some point, you have to pick a spot on the shore and go, I am going to land there. We're going to get the boat to there so we can get out of the river. You have to pick a spot. And then as you paddle toward the spot, you deal with the alligators along the way as you're getting to the spot. But some people don't. They're just getting... They're just dealing with the challenges, very short-sighted instead of a longer-sighted goal. So in the free screening, it's just really helping them to devise their goal and then find out what they're really into. And some people just, nobody said you could do whatever you want to do. And sometimes the most powerful part of a free screening is to say, why not? Go ahead and do it. People have joined community theater or started singing in a trio or changed their careers or started a new business just because all they needed was for somebody outside of them to say, yes, you have permission. Go ahead and do that. It's not for other people. It's for you. But mostly it's seeing the point 
and then not sabotaging yourself in the back end. So talk a little bit about how like this structure works for anybody at any point in life. A lot of the clients we see here are younger and more in the middle of their career and raising children and making maybe taking care of aging parents and they're juggling a lot of balls. And so they get caught in the trap where they say, well, I just can't, I don't have time. And then they get resentful or they blame it on the situation. So talk more about how we handle that with people. That is exactly the the canoe in the alligator infested waters. I have to deal with the kid. I have to deal with work. I have to deal with mom. I have to deal with my husband. And they're paddling away from the alligators. You still, no matter how busy you are, you still have to have a plot on the horizon. And there are many, many millionaires and billionaires out there that started their way. Um, they, they started their businesses. They started their success with all of those challenges that, that those younger clients, when I owned Raleigh, my clientele were in their thirties and it was the same thing. A lot of single moms that were school teachers and nurses trying to like expand their education and take care of the kids and work 12 and 14 hour shifts or in a school teacher's job is a nightmare because nobody tells you that when the class ring, when the bell rings at the end of the day, it's not the end of your day. <laughs> so the, um, it's still, it is still the same. You have to focus on a goal and then you have to plot out the goal. So making small, calculable actions that you can take every day that, that give you a result and make it super simple. I love getting them to shut up in their head because if you've got all that going on, you don't have time to have some third party whispering in your ear all day. So imagine how annoying it would be to just have somebody yammering. I, ha- I have a macaw at home. That's why I'm in my office doing this podcast right now. So I can tell you having somebody just talk in the background constantly can get on your last nerve. That's what internal dialogue is. But a lot of people look for the martyr need. They look for the overwhelm to prove that they're doing so much. So a lot of times that having no time and being spread thin, the biggest part of that is getting rid of the martyr need and make them not glorified in that they're busy and overwhelmed. Because a lot of people like to celebrate how busy and overwhelmed they are. Show them that they're running the same emotional sequence over and over again with different people or different scenarios or different diets, but they're still hitting the same emotional points. And that's them. That's not the outside world. So expectation tends to be realized. Once they can see that, just seeing it isn't going to stop it. Seeing it might raise your maturity and make you less comfortable with doing it. But it's like telling somebody, don't go to Albuquerque. Well, then where do I go? (laughs) So then we focus. And then that's when I love to teach the Satir model. Blaming, placating, computing, and distracting are the four ways that we protect our self-esteem. Blamers tended to be overpunished for the crime when they were a child. So when they were young, their punishment was so severe that all they learned is don't get caught rather than learning the lesson that they were actually supposed to learn from the punishment. Placators quite often have crime of existence, 
But placators felt like as a child that they weren't enough, that they needed to bring something to the table in order to be of equal value to everybody else in the room. So they they are actually predatorial because they give and do and give and do until they can't take it anymore. And then they land on anger and resentment because they have given away everything and they have no time, money, energy, or resources for themselves. But what makes it predatorial is now they're villainizing the person they overgave to. How fair is it if I come into work one day and say, hey, Robbie, I made you some cookies. And then the next day, hey, Robbie, I made you a pie. And then the next day I come and look, I made you a cake with your name on it. How fair would it be if on the fourth day I came in and went, Robbie, she never bakes for me. Well, you didn't ask for my cookies in the first place, right? And that's what a placator does. And a lot, and I run into a lot of them. So, so teaching the satire model, actually having them stand up and point, it's all your fault. Anything for you. If one were to analyze this, somebody getting in their head, so people who compute, 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 that comes from parents who kept raising the bar. If you got an A, why wasn't an A plus? If you kicked a goal in soccer, why didn't you win the game? If they keep pulling the brass ring out of reach, then they just learned academia. But a good student studies, right? But when they take the test, they can be graded. So computer, that state of mind, causes them to stay in analysis and studying because they feel smart there and they can't be graded. So it's hard to get them to make a closed decision. It's like, do you want the blue one or the red one? Well, the blue ones always break and the red ones are incredibly expensive. Sounds smart, right? It's not an answer. I've actually taught that in my in my office in a screening and clients are like, yes. And I'm like, are you serious? You don't get the point that having that information isn't better than having a decision. But there are people that actually go into it. And then, and then distraction doesn't have a verbal because they just avoid everything. And that's a wonderful example of eating, like nighttime eating, when you're great all day long. Had fruit for breakfast, big dark green salad for lunch, had a small amount of meat with vegetable side, had six to eight glasses of water, and maybe one cocktail with friends and didn't even finish it. And then you go home, you're sitting on the couch and you're alone. And then all of a sudden, popcorn and maybe just one cookie and then that cube of cheese. And you wake up the next morning and instead of being a pound lighter, you're a pound heavier because of that alone time in bed. And there's a couple of reasons. When it's time to sleep, our body needs to sleep. But if you're watching a show or talking on the phone or doodling on your computer, your subconscious will keep you awake because remember it keeps you safe and loved and warm and protected all the time. So it's like, Oh, she's doing something. We'll keep her awake. Carbs, carbs, carbs. Because I don't know anybody who craves broccoli florets at nine o'clock at night. I've yet to meet one, but that PM eating sometimes is just your subconscious trying to get sugar or starches to wake you up so you can stay up later, which means you just need to go to bed. But for a lot of people, that's the only time in their day when the kids are in bed, you don't have to be at work, the laundry's done, the dishes are clean, husband's doing whatever he's doing, and now you're sitting there alone with yourself. And a lot of people, 
when they're alone with themselves, they're not really impressed. And that distraction of food in the evening keeps them from having to face the state of their marriage, how good a parent they are, how fulfilled they are in their career, the direction their body or their life or their finances are going. So it's just a, it's just a distraction. So you can go to bed. <laughs> you can do self-hypnosis in that quiet time before bedtime to refocus on the goals you want. Or you can really focus and go back to physical, financial, emotional, and spiritual and go, how do I want my life to go? I've got 10 fingers and 10 toes and a fully functioning brain like every billionaire out there in the world, which means I can do anything they can do, which is really the presupposition of NLP. Anything that one person can do, another person can do it by just following the steps they went through. So in the evening, if you're eating and snacking, if you're great during the day and then you're eating and snacking at the end of the day, you either need to go to bed and get the sleep you need or maybe face what it is you want your life to be, and then make a really clear goal after you've leveled with yourself and you're not blaming. It's all my husband's fault. He never cleans up the thing. Or, well, I just have to do it because the kids want it. And they went or overanalyzing them. Well, I read this 10 article over here. And then I went to this doctor who said this, and then I did this thing over there, or just distract away and eat in the evening. Or you can just go, how do I want this to go? Where am I proudest when I look in the mirror physically? Where am I most safe and feeling most good about myself financially? How do I want to handle myself emotionally so that at the end of the day or after the interaction, I'm proud of how I handled myself? And spiritually, when my feet hit the floor in the morning, what is my purpose for being alive today? Like, what am, what is all of this going toward? And that's really what we do in the free screening is help them establish all of that. And then the hypnosis sessions are just the tools and techniques to help them keep adjusting their perspective to get there. And those overwhelmed thoughts, when you were talking about the moms, working moms that have no time and are frustrated with everything, the that's I like self-hypnosis for them the most because maybe they really don't have 30 minutes of uninterrupted quiet time throughout the day so I tell a lot of them go to your car recline the seat park somewhere lovely and listen to your audio in the car on your lunch hour or I had one mom that used to do it in the park in the driveway of her house before she went in at the end of the day she would just recline her seat in the driveway. As soon as she got home, she'd pop in her hypnosis. She'd do it. When it was over, she goes, I felt more awake and I wasn't frustrated and angry from being at work. Like it was, it was her way of leaving work at home. And then when she went in the house, she was all calm and re-energized. And then she could just be mom and not be running from work. And it worked out great for her. I had another woman re like cleared out her attic, put a, she bought a light sound machine from me like I have in my office and put a recliner up there and kind of made therapy room one of my office in her attic and said, this is my space. 
nobody's allowed in here. And she would go up into the attic and find her seat and have, and she literally recreated everything that happened in my office and her attic to do her home hypnosis. And she, it was just her favorite room in the house. It was really funny, but she was, she was a single full-time working mother with three kids and a foster child. And she still managed. Right. So she can do it. Yeah. And that's you just have to, if somebody's doing what you want to be able to do, look at them with loving curiosity and go, hmm, what does she eat? What does she wear? How, much, how many hours does she sleep? How does she handle stuff? How is she viewing that? What are her thoughts when that happens? And if, yeah, all you have to do is find somebody that's doing what you want to do and follow in their footsteps long enough to get the result and then make it your own. Yeah. Because nobody's perfect. Yeah. So this actually really speaks to one of the challenges that I've seen a lot with weight loss clients and clients in general, where they've never had a learning experience where they realize that it's not about them judging themselves. And so a lot of people get caught up in a shame cycle and they blame themselves or they'd say, you should do this and you should do this. And why can't I be like this person or that person? Um, and so that they're, they're mad at themselves and that, and of course they're going to want to escape that because that feels terrible. And so they stay caught in a cycle or they're running in a circle where they might uh, take action towards something, not do it perfectly or the way they'd want, get mad at themselves, and then they go and distract by eating or something else that's destructive. So talk a little bit about how we help people escape that because everything you're describing is great, but the, the foundation to, for people to be able to do it in the first place is that they accept themselves and that they have the confidence to realize that um, what they do in the world has nothing to do with who they are. It's just taking actions in a different way. Yeah, exactly. The, um, the shame cycle, that's really just how they were raised. When somebody is doing that, the first thing I do is teach them that a conscience has to be installed for them to have a conscience, to know the difference between right and wrong. So right away in the free screening, I usually lay out what I can see of what how their parents raised them, how their parents, because you have to have some strategy to keep your kids from running into traffic after a ball, right? Basic parenting skills. The problem with those basic parenting skills is we as parents get so scared about the kids getting hurt or being abducted or whatever that we can parent over the zone. And that's what usually happens with shame cycle people where their parents, their parents' energy was a little higher than necessary for the situation, or maybe they were overwhelmed by something else and it didn't even have to do with the kid. But that shame cycle could also just be that their parents were trying to install a conscience, the difference between right and wrong. But once you know the difference between right and wrong, there's no reason to feel shame or guilt anymore. There is no reason for guilt or shame or talking in your head. Once you have command of your first language, you no longer need to hear your voice in your head. I've been doing this a lot this week, actually, just crazy amounts of this this week. Look up so that you're accessing that part of your brain. Look up, listen to the sounds in the room, and then physically feel your body, like feel your shoes in your feet or your pants on your legs, but simultaneously looking, listening, feeling, 
and it forces you to get out of your head. That is sanity. Any internal dialogue is insane. It's just nuts. It's not reality. It's a fiction novel. And nobody's writing really beautiful rom-coms in there. It's all horror stories. Cut it out. Stay out here. Your memory drastically improves because words are just labels for real thoughts. So for you to make those words in your head, the thoughts had to exist for you to be labeling them. And then once you started labeling them, it's just like a writer writing a fiction novel. Oh, beautiful girl with long brown hair in the wind. And well, when you say that, and then ruby red lips and sparkling brown eyes, or what, but you add to the story. Once you start talking to yourself, you'll keep adding to the story. That guilt shame cycle, they have to talk themselves into it. So as soon as they're feeling that way, the best thing you can do is criminalize it so that it just feels embarrassing. So when I do the satire model in my office, the satire, I love Virginia Satir. If I was younger, I would have posters of her in my room. The reason I love the satire model so much is because of what you're talking about right here. And it fixes so many things. If you level with yourself about what you really want, okay, how do I want this to go? And when I, when I have them physically go through the motions of blamer, placator, computer, and distractor, I tell them at the beginning, we're going to physically feel this so that you know what it feels like in your body when you go into that mood. And then you can shake it off and just be embarrassed. But I realized that people needed to get a sense of humor about themselves and associate a little embarrassment with the cycle you're talking about. Guilt, shame, blaming, anger, oppressed or obedient, like being downtrodden. All of those belief systems have to, you have to have a sense of humor about yourself. So when I teach the satire model, I usually say, Virginia Satir calls it a self-esteem protection device. Scott McFall, whose business model we both use um, and teach, is he calls it a maturity drama. And I just call it a tantrum because that's what it is. It's the tantrum you got away with when you're a little kid and now you're just doing the adult version of it. So the first thing I do in, in this screening is have them raise their hands over their head and jump up and down and say, I want my Coco Bucks, I want my Coco Bucks. And I make them actually have a kicking screaming, embarrassing tantrum in my office first, and then say, if you wanted a discount at the department store or a refund for something, you wouldn't do that, would you? No. Okay. Well, then cut it out. And then we go through blamer. Now, blamer, it's all your fault. What you're talking about is when they turn it on themselves, but it's still the blamer from the satire model. They're just blaming themselves. And that's a martyr need. Well, it's my fault for trusting you. I should have done it myself. That's just passive aggressive mean. But some people really are blaming themselves. I'm not enough. I, I'm not bright enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not healthy enough. I'm not whatever. But that's still blamer. So if you're in that position, then you have to go, well, that was embarrassing. And then level. Okay. How do I want this to go? I want to be thin and fit. I want to be financially secure without being overworked. I want to be emotionally sage and wise and calm. I want to be the person that everybody could look to for the answer because they know I won't be freaking out. And I want to be able to know why I'm doing it. 
Like I have a purpose that pulls me through it when challenges get bigger or conflicting. So if you have a purpose, I mean, Robbie, if your child was trapped under a car and you had to get across town to save them, (laughs) your purpose would be genuine. You would know what to do next and you would have passion to do it next. It doesn't have to be a trauma. That, but that kind of draw toward purpose is what, is what makes us get there. And when, well, you're un, unusually successful in the world of hypnosis compared to other hypnotists. Like you're way more successful than, than any random hypnotist that you're going to meet. So you know when you first started, like you remember when you first got your first foothold and went, holy cow, this could really be a career. Do you remember that moment mm-hmm. where you went, hey, books, yep. <laughs> like, or a, an awesome testimonial or like the first TV commercial where somebody was genuinely zealous about their success? That pulled you, did it not? Mm-hmm. For sure. It makes you believe it's possible and that it's worth putting effort into. Worth It was worth it. It, it made all of the challenges and struggles and arguments and crying worth it. Because once you got there, now you have a point of reference. I do know this car can run. <laughs> and if it, if it ticks and, and blows a little smoke and I have to pull over and fix it, I still know that it'll go 75 on the highway <laughs> because it did once before, right? So that people just need that passion and I think you're successful. I think I've been successful. I think a lot of the people in our group that are successful, the reason we're able to teach that so well to other people is because we've been where they are. And now we're out here in the clearing in the sunlight, just going, follow my voice. But we have faith they'll get there because we, because we had to come through the woods to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when we hypnotize people, we're putting them into that state of mind where they're more open to this. Because as we're as we're exploring this together today, many things that you shared are wonderful um, pieces that people can just take and run with. And they may be able to do that right now. Some people might need that extra custom feedback from a hypnotist or the reinforcement or have the experience of, of having customized hypnosis so that they can take it in at that subconscious level. Because sometimes we can understand things. It doesn't mean we can do them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which is why we offer people programs. We don't, you know, there's some hypnotists out there who take great pride in saying, well, I only do single sessions and all my clients are successful, but they never follow up. So how do they know? And and so we see how it plays out over time and that, that the benefits of having somebody to give you feedback and reinforcement and customized hypnosis to, to get your subconscious on board with all of us. Well, that's why we have little tiny programs and large hand-holding programs. And I've had people and I'm like, if you just need a kick in the pants, if you just need the instructions of how to do it and some basic techniques like look, listen, feel, leveling with yourself, circle of excellence. Like if, if I can just give you some tools, show you show you the route, and then I call it the, the economy is kind of like a, a kick in the right direction. And then they have the service guarantee so they can come back for tune-ups if they go off the rails. But then there are people who are like, mm, 
no, I've, I've lost weight before and then gained it back. So I don't want to go in the right direction. I want somebody to hold my hand until I have that passionate moment where you go, holy cow, this really works. And then you have that frame of reference where you feel like this is just who I am. Some people do need, they need a cheerleader until they know, yep, this is who I am. And that, and just, just the safety of knowing there's somebody to check in with. I also have a lot of clients who are being everything for everybody. Like they have adult disabled kids at home. They have ailing spouses or elderly parents that they're taking care of. And they're trying to be strong and sage and wise for everybody in their life. And sometimes their hypnosis sessions are the only place where they can be vulnerable and weak. Like in their mind, it feels like the only place where they can finally just break down and cry and go, I think this whole life is bigger than me. And then you bolster them (laughs) and go, let's go. Let's teach you how you got into this mood. So you can teach so we can teach you how to get out of this mood and then start to blend it. I've been doing a lot of that. People who are living in these compartments and they feel like they have to be one person for their spouse and one person for their kids and one person for their boss. And, and it's, and it's exhausting because they're not really just being themselves and they're doing a lot of placating and because they're placating, they're going over their boundary everywhere and it's leaving them exhausted. So their hypnosis sessions are, I've done a lot of role play. Okay. Well, maybe you just need to level with your husband. Maybe you just need to level with your boss and you can see the fear on their face. Okay. Well, let's play it out. (laughs) Okay. First, if you level, ask, this is how you could, I'll be you and you be him. And then I'll ask the question. And sometimes before they even respond in the role play, they'll go, well, well, that's beautiful. Couldn't you just come home with me and say that to my husband? <laughs> no, but I'm going to teach you how. <laughs> but that's the hand-holding. Sometimes people need, because they don't know, they don't know what the fallout is of courageous if they've never had, if they've never shown any courage or conviction in their life. They have talked in their head and made up these terrible war stories about how people are just going to shoot them dead for speaking their mind. And they don't notice that with loving curiosity, most people don't want everything that you're giving them. And most people are really okay with you just being yourself. They, and then people start expecting you to do things because they think it's what makes you feel loved. Well, I always tell my mom she has to make her famous potato salad when I come to visit because I know it makes her feel special. Well, did you ever just tell her she's special? Because from the other end, mom making that potato salad is stressed out because she's making your potato salad and your sister's chocolate cake and your dad's rose and then trying to have all of the decorations and the gifts and everything and she overwhelmed herself. So what if everybody just said, Mom, I think you're great and special and wonderful. So what what you're really saying is that there are people who they're stuck in their own way of doing things or the people around them. They have a sort of like a closed system in their life. And a big role we play is giving them feedback on that so they have choices that they're not continually staying stuck there. And so they're wanting to have that step-by-step support as they're making these changes, which for a lot of people is really important. Otherwise, they're going to go back to the way it used to be. 
right? And they'll have more excuses because they'll say, see, it didn't work. So it's staying with them for long enough that they that they see enough evidence that it's possible. Yeah, and it's 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 not scary, but they have made up stories in their head that make it very very scary. And having somebody that they know has only their best interest at heart, they they've paid this hypnotist to help them to achieve a goal that they both agreed on before they paid any money. So they know that whenever they come in, your agenda is them getting to that goal. You've already paid the money. You've already signed the agreement. Now we have a dovetailed outcome for you to get to this goal. So when the people in their life are trying to get away with something or get their agenda on the table or whatever, they know when they come to their hypnotist, this hypnotist only has that goal in mind. So they can, they can kind of bounce things off and just teaching them not to be afraid of making the change. And we do always go back to what we're most comfortable with. It's what we're most familiar with. Even if it's uncomfortable, it's familiar. I'll take the bumpy road home because I know it's a straight shot to my house and I don't know the shortcut this way. Like I know there's a smooth new highway, but I don't know exactly which exit to take. So I'm just going to take this bumpy road that pulls my car out of alignment. Right. We always go back to the thing we're familiar with. So if a program is long enough to keep them going, taking the other route until it's familiar, but yeah, their program has to be long enough for them to do it over and over again until it's who they are. Because losing that support can make that, they'll have the moment where they start to believe the talk in their head again. Mm-hmm. And that's also why we all, all of our clinics have service guarantees so that if you get around your family of origin, oh, my, talk about, talk about backtracking. When you get around the people you grew up with, it can, it can turn off all of your maturity because those anchors fire off. So a lot of times, and this is funny, at Christmas time, I get a lot of service guarantee people coming back. I was doing fine until I saw my mother-in-law. <laughs> I went home for Christmas and my brother said that thing. So it was, yeah, it's holidays. Anytime there's big family holidays, people come in with their service guarantee, either to prepare themselves for having to go see those people or to clean up the mess that those people re-elicited. Mm-hmm. And so part of the, the benefit of this is, is that we're, we're pacing it the way the client needs. And so they don't get overwhelmed or give up. We can break it down into the step size that will make them see what's possible and take the steps, be, see it's worth it to take the steps and have the courage to do it. And that's different for different people. Some people run with it. Other people need the smaller steps along the way. And so that, that can really help people because otherwise they're, you know, all they know is what they know. So if they don't have that outside feedback, they tend to stay stuck there. Yeah. And little, yeah. And you, we know all of that in the free screening, you can tell in the free screening what they're going to need and then they choose it. And I always leave space for them to expand into the longer handholding program. <laughs> if you start to doubt yourself, that's okay. You can always turn this into a bigger program. 
Yeah, great. Well, thanks, Heather. This was great. I think you shared a lot of great insight into how hypnotists can help their clients with weight loss. Or if a person listening is wanting to lose weight, there are a lot of great uh, just shifts in how you look at things here and great ideas. Just tell people how they can reach you. Uh, uh, Well, my name is Heather McFall and I own Lake Hypnosis. And my website is lakehypnosis.com. 352-223-9444. Great. Well, thanks so much, Heather. Thank you. Bye. PTSD, depression, anxiety. These are medical conditions that many hypnotists claim to help their clients with. In many places, this is considered practicing medicine without a license, and these hypnotists can get into some serious trouble. On next week's podcast, we will be interviewing the expert in hypnosis scope of practice, Reverend Dr. C. Scott Giles. He will help you be able to sleep well at night by sharing with you everything you need to know to be clear on what you are and are not qualified to do as a hypnotist and how to stay legal while you're enjoying helping people improve their lives in amazing ways with hypnosis. If you are wanting to discover more about how hypnosis training can help you, go to hypnosistraininggcanada.com and schedule your free consultation. Remember to click the button to subscribe, share this podcast with a friend, and please leave us a review so you can help others benefit from the podcast too. Until next week. You've been listening to The Hypnosis Show with Robbie Spear Miller. Tune in next time to learn more about how you can change your life with hypnosis. And if you are interested in learning more about training opportunities, go to hypnosistrainingcanada.com and schedule a free consultation.